Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. We certainly know that God does not require prayer in order to gather information because God is all-knowing. Prayer doesn't change God's mind because God already knows what is the best way things should go. So the question is, why do we pray? Prayer. An overwhelming number of people claim to pray. The Bible is filled with prayers. Jesus himself often prayed. But really, what is prayer? And why is it so important for followers of Jesus to practice the discipline of prayer? There clearly seems to be an if-then relationship in the context of prayer. If we pray, then God will do this. And the implication of that is, if we do not pray, then we need not expect God to respond in a particular situation. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we come to the end of our study in the book of James and our series, Building on the Basics. But our series will continue next week as we dive into 1 Peter and begin to take a look at the importance of hope in our lives. Throughout our study in James, we've looked at the basic of faith. James has shown us again and again that faith is something that has to be acted on if it is real faith. Today's discussion on prayer is no different. In fact, prayer is one of the most practical ways we can act on our faith. The physical realities of life require the spiritual response of faith through the God-given resource of prayer. You may be a person who has a strong prayer life, or like many people, you may struggle to understand the importance of prayer. Wherever you are when it comes to prayer, we're sure that today's message from Pastor Clay will help all of us understand more about acting on our faith through the resource of prayer. Now here's Pastor Clay. Wow, we have embarked on uh, what is going to end up being a, a fairly lengthy series. Now, if you've been part of Cross Culture Family for a while, lengthy series are nothing new to you, right? A few years ago, we spent a little over a year in the book of Revelation. We spent a little over a year in the book of Daniel. We've, we've spent a good bit of time in several books like that. And uh, while, while we will be in numerous books in this series, it will end up being a rather lengthy series entitled Building on the Basics. And we're looking at some of the basic uh, fundamentals, uh, essentials to your faith. I don't think that anybody would argue with me about this. If I were to go around the room, let's, let's say for a moment, assuming that every person in here has a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that may not be the case. Not everyone has trusted Christ as their Savior Yet, I, I understand that. Some of you are in process. Some of you are praying through it. Some of you are thinking about all these kind of things. But let's, let's assume that if every person in here were in a relationship with Jesus Christ, I do not believe I would get any argument if I went around and asked every single person and said, do you want to mature in your faith? Do you want to grow up in Christ Jesus? I, I think almost universally, every person would say, absolutely. Absolutely. I, sometimes I, I feel like I'm not getting anywhere or I'm struggling or I feel like I make a little progress and then I come come backwards. And, and that's life in general to some degree, right? But certainly the, the spiritual life. And that, that's what this is. What we're talking about. We're walking with Christ. It is a spiritual life um, 
wrapped in a physical existence. In other words, we are physically here right now. This is, this is our life. This is where we are. You, you could, you know, touch the person next to you. You can taste food. It's a, it's a physical reality. And yet, as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to live, as the Apostle Paul puts it, in this world but not of this world. There's some type of distinction there. And maybe we're all, in some sense, still figuring all of this out uh, in our individual lives. And that is the the, the maturation process. That is the growing process of walking in Christ. So I don't think there's a person in here that would, would say, no, I really don't want to grow. Uh, I, I'm really happy with, with where I am. Most of us want to get there. And so looking at these, these building blocks, if you will, uh, become an important part of how we grow up in Christ Jesus. For about the last, I don't know, I didn't, didn't count them, eight, nine Week, somewhere in eight, nine, ten weeks, we have been looking at the building block of faith in the book or the letter of James. That's right. We've been walking through uh, James's letter to the 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 diaspora, through, to the scattered, the the believers who were scattered all over uh, Asia Minor and Europe and, and wherever they might have been at that point. And we've been we've been we've been honing in, focusing on this one. Uh, essential, this one element that keeps coming up uh, in James' letter, and that one element is faith. Thank you. It'll make me feel good. Faith. Because if I, after eight or nine weeks, if I'd just gotten a bunch of, I'd have really been bummed about, about that. Faith. And, and this, this, this element, the essential element of faith is something that we, I'm going to push, I'm going to push it here, is something that we have to act on. Yes, that's right. Three of y'all got it right. It's something that we have to act on. So we've been walking through the book of James. Today, we come to the end of the book of James, the James's letter. We come to the end of the first building block of faith. Although, obviously, and I said this when we first started the series, there's overlap. They'll, you'll, we'll talk about faith and when we get to 1 Peter next week. You know, we'll, it, faith will bleed over and all the different elements that we'll look at. But the focus, this, the focus of faith in James' letter, we finished that up today. And we saw it last week uh, with one... Uh, practical application. We see it again this week. James finishes up his his letter on faith with the practical application of prayer. That's how he finishes this thing. Now he and he's been you know hammering his stuff home all over the place. And then he towards the end he started making some practical application in our lives and and how this faith plays out in our lives. And so uh, as as kind of the, his last parting shot to us. He leaves us with the the, uh, application, the practical application of faith in the area of prayer. But how do we pray? Well, maybe this will help. When it comes time to pray, we've discovered that many Christians panic over the very thought of being called on. We often take drastic measures to ensure we're not the ones being asked to lead in prayer. That's why we've created a two-disc DVD set, Prayer Master. Now you can throw your prayer concerns as far away as east from west. With Prayer Master, we cover it all. Um. Is your prayer full of ums? 
And um, Prayer Master Solution, simply substitute um with Father. Just been beautiful weather, Father. And, and Father, we Father, we lift up these prayer requests to you, Father. We know now that, uh, that's supplication. Life, Not only will Prayer Master make you sound holier, it'll make you look holier, simply by mastering some praying stances. Learn from our black belt in Prayer Master, Master Reverend Thurgood. Once you've mastered the pros and the pose... You'll also learn how to become a better prayer listener. Prayer Master will teach you how to place those affirming grunts at the appropriate times. Mm-hmm. Not since the WWJD bracelet has any product made it so easy to make a holy first impression. With Prayer Master, we'll have you prepared to look good praying in any situation. In this desolate hour, you know the sorrow that has befallen us. Lord, you giveth and you taketh away. We find solace in knowing that death has already been conquered by our Lord Almighty. Amen and amen. So what if you weren't born with the spiritual gift of prayer? Now it can be yours for just three easy payments of $29.99. Buy Prayer Master right now. Not only will you receive the DVD set, but we'll also throw in a cassette tape featuring prayers narrated by Charlton Heston's second cousin. Now, next time someone asks... Who wants to pray? You can say... I do. Yeah, all right. That's all right. If only it were that easy, right? You watch a couple of DVDs and instantly you're a prayer warrior. If only it were, were that easy. Now listen, I would be the first to admit... And maybe people find this surprising for a, a, a guy that's been in ministry for 20 plus years now and been walking with Jesus for about 30 years. Maybe find this surprising. But I will freely confess to you that prayer is a very mysterious thing to me. The more I do it, sometimes I feel like the less I understand about it. There is much about prayer that I do not understand. How and when and, and why God works and doesn't seemingly work and all those uh, types of things. There, there, is, there is mystery involved in this thing called prayer. We certainly know that God does not require prayer in order to gather information because God is all-knowing. Prayer certainly is not a source of power for God because God has all power. Prayer doesn't change God's mind because God already knows what is the best situation and the best way things should go. So the question is, why do we pray? I have a very simple answer. Because God commands us to. And there is an indication in Scripture that while God is limitless, according to what Scripture teaches us, there, there certainly is a clear indication in Scripture that God may limit His, His working in your life to the degree that you pray. For example, there's this passage of Scripture some of you are familiar with it in First Chronicles chapter 7. It looks like this. Then if my people, that would be people who would profess a relationship with him. Then in, in this context, it was the nation of Israel, but it, it would apply to any of us who have a relationship with him. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, if they will pray and seek me and stop their evil ways, watch this, I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, I will heal their land. 
Now, there are some other elements in there connected to prayer that we're going to talk about this morning, but there clearly seems to be an if-then relationship in the context of prayer. If we pray, then God will do this. And the implication of that is, if we do not pray, then we need not expect God to respond in a particular situation. James uh, gives us, as I said, this parting shot, this practical application of our faith in action through the avenue of prayer, and it's really, really important. If you have your Bibles with you, open them to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, we're reading verses 13 through the end of the chapter. Uh, Hard copy, electronic copy, copy on the screen. I hope, I encourage you, I always, or don't always, but I quite often say, bring a copy of God's Word with you. I just, I just... I don't know. I just think it's important. James chapter 5, verse 13. Listen. It's how, he, it's how he's closing out his letter, right? This action, this, this faith in action. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Father, uh, this morning as we close out the book of James, uh, I want to first and foremost say thank you for uh, the time you've given me uh, again in this book to study and to look at the implications of the, of the book for, for my life. That, that's really what it comes down to. It's, it's what, not just what knowledge I gain, but what knowledge I apply to my life. And today, in the area of prayer, there are people in this room who I have no doubt are strong, staunch prayer warriors. That, that, that they get on their face and they come to you and they intercede for others and for needs and for this church and, and for so many things. And I'm so grateful for them, Lord God. I, I truly, truly am. And we probably, it probably won't be till heaven we see all that prayer warriors accomplished. But I also know that many of us struggle in the area of prayer. We struggle, it seems, with finding the time. We struggle with trying to figure out what we are supposed to pray about. We struggle with our faith and, and whether our prayers are even working because we don't see anything oftentimes happening, perhaps. And yet, here in James and so many other places in Scripture... We have this admonition to pray. Would you teach us this morning as we just kind of break apart James's closing uh, arguments to us, discourse to us on, 
on practically applying faith in the area of prayer. And my, my prayer to you and for the people listening to this message is that uh, all of us will, at the end of this, have a greater conviction about prayer, a greater dedication uh, to prayer, uh, so that uh, we might see you work to a greater degree in all of our uh, lives. And uh, we ask this today in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's break down James chapter 5. I'm just going to point out some things that James points out as he's, he's drawing this thing to a close. He's kind of wrapping this thing up and, and he throws this in about prayer. And, and, and there's some things about it that we need to understand and apply to our lives. Uh, and I want to start this morning uh, as we do that by giving you again, uh, I'm doing it again this week, a, a BP squared, a big picture biblical principle from James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. And the big picture biblical principle looks like this. The physical realities of life require the spiritual response of faith through the God-given resource of prayer. Would y'all, uh, and some of you may be filling in some blanks and stuff, but would you look up at the screen and would y'all say that, if you will, uh, would you say that out loud with me as we read it again? The physical realities of life require the spiritual response of faith through the God-given resource of prayer. Okay, what does that look like? Why does James say, what are some, some of the realities of that faith, what the resource, the, uh, this God-given resource of prayer how does this reality of faith play out in this area of faith? What needs to be in there? What are some of those essentials? It looks like this. Let's start with this one. Elements of faith. First, faith has to be personal. It has to be personal faith. There has to be personal faith in this thing. James uh, opens this, this discussion on faith by saying, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. There is this element of personal responsibility in the area of prayer that I have to be committed to this thing. I have to engage in this thing and I have to want this thing uh, because of this relationship that I have and desire to have to a greater degree with God. I have to take personal responsibility for it. Is, is anyone suffering? The, the Greek word essentially means uh, any type of suffering of hardship. Well, that pretty much includes everybody, doesn't it? That pretty much includes everybody here because everybody here at some time or another has experienced some type of hardship, some type of trial, some type of difficulty, some type of, of uh, something like that. It, it, it happens, right? It's the physical realities of life. Are you with me? It's the physical realities of life. Uh, kids get sick. Marriages get in trouble. Finances get tight. Uh, it, it could be a lot of different things, but it's the physical realities of life. And James says, your first response should not be physical. It should not be material. Your first response should be spiritual. You should pray. That your first response should be to, to fall to your knees, metaphorically or literally, fall to your knees and pray. To seek God's face in the, in the physical realities of life. The things that are going on in your life, your response needs to be spiritual. It needs to be prayer. And you have to take responsibility for doing it. And then he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Which, by the way, it can be thought of as just, as just prayer. Hey, remember, prayer is just communicating with God, right? Whether it's, whether it's talking, whether it's singing, whether it, whatever. Prayer is simply communicating with God. And listen, it shouldn't just be when the hard times hit, shouldn't, should it? 
It shouldn't just be in the bad times. It shouldn't just be in the hard times. It shouldn't just be when things are rough. No. No. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we at some point when things are going well, or even if they're not going well, but we're still, we're just grateful. Shouldn't we just be grateful? Shouldn't we just praise God personally, each individually, personally? This is, and it doesn't have to be in song form, but then this is just a, you know, you don't have to answer this out loud. But how many of you in the past week, from last Sunday, if you were here, to this Sunday, to today, how many of you at some point in the last week have sung praises to God? Or have you waited until last Sunday? Okay, great, awesome, good. Because it shouldn't, it, there's this, 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 this responsibility that I have to personally engage in this relationship with God. Listen, do you ever have somebody or had somebody in the past or have somebody now that you just, you could just talk to about anything? I mean, it, it might be a best friend. It might be a, a sibling, a brother or a sister. It might even be a parent for, for some of you. But you, you, you knew you could just talk to them. You could just pour out your heart and they would listen and, and, and they could respond and they could give you counsel or wisdom about certain things or, or, or they might even instruct you when you're going in a direction that... that they know is wrong for you. And you ever had that person like that that you just felt like, man, I can talk to them about anything. I can, just, I can just tell them anything. Now, I'm not saying that we should think of God as our best bud, okay? But there is a sense in which God desires to be that person in our lives. God desires to be that person that we want to go to, that we want to spend time in, that we want to have this personal intimate relationship with listen to me not because he needs it but because we do because we need his presence we need his wisdom we need his power in our lives and god says come here i want that i want that with you i want that for you prayer has to be personal faith has to be as it plays out in prayer personal faith second uh, James mentions that there needs to be corporate faith. And, and by corporate, what I mean is the body of Christ collectively involved in the faith act of prayer. The body collectively working together. You know, throughout Scripture, we are, uh, we are instructed on this this relationship that you and I have together, those of us who have professed our faith in Jesus Christ, have committed our lives to him. Hey, listen, like like it or not, we are blood kin. We are related by blood. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses all of us from our unrighteousness, all of us that have committed our life to him and have made it possible for all of us to be adopted into the family of God. We're family. And family does for family. Why don't you just turn to somebody that's not your biological family? Turn to somebody right now and say, you're my family. <laughs> to be in this relationship with each other and to be able to talk to each other and to be able to pray for each other. And so this 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 admonition comes to to lift up each other's needs, to lift up each other's burdens, to pray for each other is an incredible blessing that you and I have. It is to pray, to pray for one another. Now, James mentions this, this, uh, this praying for one another, this corporate prayer. He mentions it in the context of sickness. And it could be argued 
he mentions it in the context specifically of sickness as a result of sin. Now, that, that doesn't mean that every time a person gets sick that it is because of sin. And it certainly doesn't mean that, that, that the person who is sick because of their sin is the, is the, is the only person that ought to, ought to call for the elders uh, of the church to come and, and pray over them. I, I don't think that. But Scripture does clearly seem to indicate that, that at times, in, in, when God, in God's sovereignty, God does judge people. He does bring judgment on a person at, at times, not all, I don't know how it all works. I'm leaving that in God's hands. But at times, God brings judgment on a person. And there are biblical indications that that judgment can come in the form of a sickness or an illness. In Exodus chapter 28, God tells the nation of Israel about these plagues and these sicknesses that will come upon them if they do not keep his law, which they had agreed to keep. In Daniel chapter 4, God causes King Nebuchadnezzar to lose his spiritual health because of pride that had come into his life. And here in James chapter 5, James certainly opens the door to the possibility that a person can be sick as a result of sin that they've allowed to come into their life. And what does James say we need to do? We need to pray for one another, confessing our sins one to another. I'll get to repentance in just a moment, but confessing our sins one to another. Listen, we are all... Frail, fallen, imperfect people. All of us. And quite honestly, you listen to me? Quite honestly, we need to get over ourselves. We, we, need, we, need, to get over our, we need to get over our fears that somebody's going to find out that we're less than perfect. Newsflash, we already know you're less than perfect. Trust me. And by the way, Welcome to the club. We ought to be open and honest with each other and we ought to come alongside each other and we ought to pray for each other and our needs. And so connected to that idea of corporate faith is the third idea that James mentions and I'm talking about and it is repentant faith. That there has to be this, this, in, this admission that, that my life is imperfect, that there is sin in my life and I cannot hold on to that sin and think that I can still you know, just be okay with God, I can pray to God, and, and nothing's going to, you know, be wrong with that, and everything's going to happen fine, and God's going to work and, and move, and no, there has to be repentant faith in our lives. We have to turn away, what's that, what the idea of repentance means, turn away from the life that we're living that, that is outside of God's will, and live a life that God would desire for us to live, to be repentant in our faith, and to, to share that with one another, sure. It should happen. I'm not saying that everybody needs to, you know, well, let's have brother so-and-so come up and air his dirty laundry. I'm just saying there, there have to be people that ought to be a part of the body of Christ that, that we can come to and say, listen, man, I, I'm, I'm struggling. Man, I'm struggling with anger. I'm so mad about this situation in my life and I'm struggling with this and I need you to pray for me. I need to turn away from it. I know it's wrong. God, don't want me to hold on to this. Or I'm struggling with lust or I'm struggling with greed or I'm struggling with with apathy or I'm struggling with right whatever we all have that, all that stuff we need to be able to confess it to one another and James uh, again within the context says uh, can let them if anyone's sick let them call for the elders of the church to come and pray with that word elders by the way doesn't mean the older people in the church the word elder 
pastor, bishop, all, all three of those terms in the New Testament are used synonymously. In other words, they, they're, applying, they're referring to the same person or persons. They're talking about the pastoral leadership of the church calling on them to come. And the text goes into this idea of anointing them with oil. Now, uh, there are a couple different ideas on this idea of an anointing with oil. Some people uh, believe that what James is referring to is the anointing with oil symbolizes doing medically for a person whatever you can do for them. We do know that oil was used for a medicinal, had a medicinal use in, uh, in that day and age. There are certain things about it they thought or whatever. And so they would use oil sometimes when a person was sick. And, and some people say, well, that's what James is saying. He's saying that we should, we should use whatever's available to us, doctors and, and nurses and, and uh, medical technologies and advancements and, and surgeries and whatever else. We need, to, we need to do all of that and we need to pray. Certainly nothing wrong with that interpretation. There's certainly no biblical prohibition to using doctors and, and, and those in the medical field and, and surgeries and medications and whatever else can help. There's certainly no biblical prohibition uh, to that whatsoever. So uh, that's a possible interpretation of anointing the person with oil. A second interpretation is that the oil symbolizes the Holy Spirit in the person's life, that the Holy Spirit uh, is that you're, you're calling on God to come and work in the person's life and, and anointing them with oil symbolizes the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in, in the person's life. In other words, it is God who does the healing, not us. It is God who does the healing, not us. That's one of the problems that I have sometimes with the whole idea of the faith healers. And, but never mind, I don't need to even start down that road. It's God, and, so, and so the oil represent, represents, symbolizes the Holy Spirit, and, and it's a way of saying, God, you're the one that does this healing. We're anointing this person with oil, and, and we're trusting you to do this work. Now listen, listen. I know, and by the way, there's nothing wrong with either one of those interpretations. For the record, I tend to lean towards the second one. I think it symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Now, again, not that it's wrong to... To use doctors and medications and all. There's not, absolutely nothing wrong with that. And that's, that's certainly what all of us should, should do. There, there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, ultimately, for those who placed their faith in Jesus Christ, believe that there is a God and that he spoke all this into existence, we know that ultimately he is the great physician. And that ultimately our lives are in his hands. And we, we trust him to work in our lives and to accomplish this work. So... Uh, Whichever way you take it, whichever way you want to interpret this anointing with oil, the bottom line is what's important is, here it is, obedience. We do it. We're back to the idea that James talked about throughout his letter, that faith is an action. Do you understand? Can I tell you this? In the many years that I've been doing ministry, the many times that I've been called, according to James chapter 5, I've been called by someone. I know there's no special magical powers in that oil. There is no... Uh, holyoil.com that you can go to and well there, there probably is in this world but there's no there's no power in it you know, there's no magical power you know where I get my anointing oil from Cindy's kitchen olive oil I know there's I know that it's not about the oil what it is about is obedience God says do it and so if someone calls the elders of this church the pastors of this church to come according to James chapter 5 and pray over them you know what we do we go and we anoint them all and we pray over them because it's about obedience it's it's about faith and faith is an action and so we respond in kind 
Repentance, being honest with who we are and where we are in this thing is part of the deal. But it's not just personal faith or corporate faith or repentant faith. James also brings in the idea of righteous faith. James says that the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. There is an understanding that righteousness is a part of my responsibility in my prayer life. Now, let me say this. There are two aspects of righteousness. Okay? Y'all with me? Say we're listening. Two aspects of righteousness. The first one is what I would call positional righteousness. In other words, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you are seen by God positionally as righteous. You see, when Christ died, he not only removed your sins, he put on his righteousness onto you so that God now sees you and sees me as righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is positional. I didn't earn it. I can't work for it. I don't deserve it. Do you understand? Positionally, I'm seen as righteous before God because of the sacrifice of God. Got it? But there is also such a thing as practical righteousness. And that is as a result of being redeemed by God, as a result of being adopted into his family, that I need to live righteously. I need to live as if I am a child of God. As the Apostle Paul put it in 1 Corinthians, I think, uh, chapter 6, he says, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your bodies. So yes, there's positional righteousness because of what Christ has done for me, but there's also practical righteousness and I should live in a way that is is holy. For us, it doesn't mean perfect. Holy, righteous by his standards, by his will for our lives. I've mentioned this a couple of times in this series. It seems like this has come up. But one of the things I have noticed uh, within the context of the church in the postmodern world in which we live is that there seems to be this disconnect between my theology and my morality. That, not mine, I'm talking about there's this thought within the church that I can, I can just believe in Jesus, but that has no effect, no influence, no application for how I live my life. I can just live my life, but believe in Jesus, I'm getting into heaven, and then I can just go live my life anywhere. I, I, I'm telling you, I see this a lot. And James says, are you nuts? No, there, there, there's this... There's this intricate connection between my theology and my morality so that it has to affect my life so that I have to live attempt in the power of God to live righteously the way he would desire for me to in a way that honors him so that then that opens up the the possibility for the power of God to work in my prayer life listen the elders that James mentions here let them call for the elders it's not because you know they have uh Uh, Better access to God. You do understand that, right? Pastors don't have better access to God. Right? I ever tell you all about the time I was doing this interim and I went and and this guy was real sick and went down to the hospital to visit him down in South Carolina. I walked in the uh, hospital room and room full of family members and they turned around and looked at me and they said, Thank God! The pastor's here! Pastors, this idea of elders, pastors, they, they don't have any more access to God than you do. Why does James say call for the elders? Because... Elders, if pastors, if they're living the way they're supposed to, if you look at the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1, they are to be people who are spiritually mature, 
walking in Christ, not perfect people, but desiring to live godly lives and be as godly as they can be. Do we always succeed at it? No. But the desire is that I want to live righteously. That that is a qualification for serving as a pastor. It ought to be a qualification. It is a qualification. And so that in itself makes that... the possibility for that prayer to be more effective. Not because they're an elder, not because they're even a man, but because that person is desiring to live righteously. Do you understand? Man, woman, whoever, if they're, if they're walking in holiness, if they're desiring to live righteously, listen to me. If, if that's your desire, God, I want to honor you. I want to I live righteously. I know I'm going to stumble into sins. And I know I'm not going to get it right all the time, but God, I want to live to honor you. Listen to me. You have no idea how powerful your prayer life can be if that's your desire righteous faith and then uh one more specific faith james gives us specific he gives us a specific example he gives us elijah if you're not familiar with elijah elijah was an old testament prophet we find his his story in the book of first uh kings and particularly in first kings chapter 17 uh, we find the story of elijah elijah lived during the time when the nation of israel was turning away from god they had a wicked king by the name of Ahab, and an even more wicked first lady by the name of Jezebel. That's right. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, we find this. Now, Elijah the Tishbite was a prophet from the settlers in Gilead. You know that basically, I mean, he's a man of God, but you know what? He's just a guy. He's just a guy. That's what James says. He says he's just a guy with person. He's just like us. He was just a guy. And, and here's what he says. He goes up to Ahab, the king. He says, I serve the Lord, the God of Israel, Elijah said to Ahab. As surely as the Lord lives, no rain or dew will fall during the next few years unless I command it. <laughs> that is bold to say to anybody, but much less to the king. Right? But Elijah was a man of righteousness who cared about what was happening to the nation of Israel. Interestingly enough, it was in the context of sin. The nation of Israel, as I said, turned away from God. They were turning away from God. And Elijah says, God, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain until these people repent and come back to you. That is specific praying, (laughs) wouldn't you say? Now, really quickly, let me me wrap this up. Those are kind of the elements that he includes in there. Let me me walk you through uh, what, what... what we've got to do as a result of this. You look at James, you look at five, you know, all, all these things. What have we got to do? First, uh, we've got to be committed to the personal process of prayer. I'm guessing nobody's going to make you do this. I'm guessing nobody's going to lock you in your prayer closet and say, you can't come out until you pray for at least 45 minutes. I'm just telling you that, that this is a biblical mandate that you find throughout Scripture, that you and I have to be committed to the personal process of prayer and to the degree that we are i believe is to the degree that we will see god work and move i again there's mystery i don't understand it all but i'm telling you that we have to be committed to the personal process of prayer you can think about that yourself as you're sitting there you can think how much time this week have i committed to prayer have i set time aside to go and be with god second we've got to do this together that's what he's saying he says we're, we're in this together all of us with our imperfections, with our warts, with our, with our whatever, we're still family, we're still part, and we've got to do this together. We, we, we ought to be praying, not only for our church as a whole, cross-culture church, and, and, and what God would allow us to reach and, and do, but we ought to be praying for each other individually, for our needs, for our failings, for our shortcomings, for our whatever they are. We've we got to do this together, folks. We've got to do this together, and if we do, we can defeat the enemy 
that comes into our lives. Third, we got to come clean, brutal honesty, and just say, listen, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this in my life. I, I, I know it's wrong. I know God's clear about his word, and I'm having a hard time doing this or not doing this. But we got to be able to come clean with it. And again, I don't think that means that everybody has to trace by here and say, oh, here's, what I, here's the sins I committed this week. No, but, but there needs to be some, some part of the body that you can share with. One of the things that, I, that is one of the failings of my life here at Cross Culture Church is that I've been ineffective at trying to, to get mentoring going in this church, get, get men partnered up with men and women partnered up with women who talk to each other during the week, maybe meet together for a cup of coffee and, and hold each other accountable and talk about areas that they're struggling in. That's, that's a part of the body. It's the body does for the body. We're here for each other. We ought to be. We've got to come clean. We've got to just, you know, oh, no, everything's great. I'm fantastic. Thank you. Uh, okay. Uh, fourth. We're on, we're on four. Fourth. We've got to live lives of righteousness. It's just, it's just no way around it. Like it or not, you, the God gives standards, and he says, this is how I want you to live life. So I want you to live life uh, with your money. This is how I want you to live life with your family. This is how I want you to live life uh, sexually. This is how I want you to live life uh, with your work ethic. This is how I want you. God gives these standards for our good, for the good of our culture as well, for that matter. And we have to choose to say, God, I'm going to live your way. My flesh wants to live this way. The world tells me to live this way. But God, I'm, I'm going to live righteous. I'm going to live your way. You've you got to make those choices. Can I, and I say, say this. I know it's hard. It can be a struggle for all of us. But I, my heart particularly goes out to, to our, our teenagers and our children that are coming up. Uh, because they're coming up in a world where they are being pressured to to make decisions that are contrary to God. They're, I mean, they're being... And maybe all of us are, but it seems like... to more than any other, it seems like teenagers and, and children are going to be pressured into uh, conceding and, and living lives that are contrary to God's will for their life. Sexual abstinence, for instance. Well, of course they're going to be sexually active. Why? Because their hormones are raging? Because the world says it's okay to have sex? Or is it possible for a, 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 a young man or a young woman in the power of God to say, man, I, I really... I think sex is probably going to be a pretty cool thing. <laughs> but I'll refrain and give myself only to my spouse on that day because that's what God says is best. My body is really telling me something else. But God says that's what's best. So I'll choose to do that. I, I, I really believe that that's possible. Okay, all right. And then uh, fifth, we've, we've got to be prayerfully specific. You pray specifically. Listen, by the way, if you're not familiar with the story of Elijah, Elijah's primary uh, adversary, besides Ahab and Jezebel, Elijah's primary adversary were the prophets of Baal. Baal was, to uh, the Western Semitic people groups, to, to that part of the world, Baal, get this, Baal was the god of weather. And in a shameful act of betrayal, the king of Israel, the queen of Israel, and many of the people of Israel had begun to turn away from the one true God who had given them everything, blessed them, blessed their land, done some of they had begun to turn away from him and had begun to worship Baal, offer sacrifices to Baal, had begun to pray to Baal for God to for, for Baal, for their God, Baal to bless them and to send the rains that they needed for their crops. And if you didn't know, now you know why Elijah said, God, don't let it rain. Don't let it rain, God. 
You see, pray specifically. What I'm saying to you is, when we go to God, if you got needs in your life, you, you know, sickness or, or whatever else, and I went, didn't have time to deal with all that today, but, but you have sickness, you have needs, pray specifically. Ask God to, to do this work or bring this healing or meet this need or whatever else. But make sure that you do it within the context of saying, God, I want to bring you the greatest glory. Whatever will bring you the greatest glory, that's what I want to do. Because ultimately our faith is in Him. I can back up and this will let you fill in a blank that I that I skipped past, but you need to understand this. Ultimately, faith is in the healer, not in the healing. Really important principle for us to understand. Because James says the, the prayer offered in faith will raise the person up. It will heal them. And if they've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. Well, that makes sense. If the sickness is caused by sin, then it makes sense that, that they would be healed. But, but sometimes we've got to be honest, right? What if it's not sin-related? What if, what if what's come upon me is not sin-related? What if I just get cancer or something else? If I call for the elders to come and anoint me with oil and, and, and pray over me, will I be healed? Faith is in the healer, not in the healing. I want to show you a passage of Scripture. I know I'm backing up a little bit, but I'm going to close with this. I want to show you a passage of Scripture where one time where an illness, a physical infirmity came upon the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see it. I want you to understand uh, what, what's going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to what Paul says. So that I would not become too proud of the wonderful things that were shown to me. I have to go back and read the context of that. He says, a painful physical problem was given to me. Nobody knows what it was. People have speculated for years, but nobody knows for sure what it was. A painful physical problem was given to me. This problem was a messenger from Satan. Now, whether that was literally from Satan or whether Paul is just venting and saying, boy, it's your... I don't know. But he says, a messenger from Satan sent to beat me and keep me from being too proud. Watch this. I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. Now, I don't know what it means. I've always found that interesting when it says Paul prayed three times. God, take this away. God, take this away. God, take this away. In Jesus' name, amen. I doubt it. You know, I think Paul labored over this. I think Paul poured his heart and his life multiple times into this this begging God, begging God to take whatever this was off of him. Take this problem away from me. But he, God, said to me, my grace is enough for you. Can you handle that? When you're weak, my power is made perfect in you, God says. So then Paul says, so I'm very happy to brag about my weaknesses, my infirmity, this physical pain that I have. I'll, I'll brag about it. Then Christ's power can live in me. For this reason, I'm happy when I have weaknesses, insults, hard times, sufferings, and all kinds of troubles for Christ. I'm happy about it. Back to the idea, James says, sing praises. And you're cheerful. Because when I'm weak, then I'm truly strong. Faith is in the healer, not the healing. It's not, oh, and by the way, if God doesn't heal you, and you die, and go to heaven, you know what they call that? healed but faith is in him not in what he does we go to him in prayer with every expectancy that he will move and act on our behalf we're living our lives according to what we're doing those things that james walks through there and then we trust him not the result we trust him for what he will do that's faith that's faith in action Thanks, Pastor, for reminding us of the importance of prayer in our lives. If you're like most of us, you probably find it hard to set aside time for prayer like you know you should. 
Today's message should encourage all of us to make prayer a priority in our lives, and not just for ourselves, but for others as well. As we saw in the book of James today, Elijah was a man who prayed very specifically, and as a result of his prayers, Elijah saw God move very powerfully. Clearly, James was giving us Elijah as an example of what our prayer life should look like. As Pastor Clay pointed out today, prayer is putting our faith in action. When we do, we experience God in action as He moves powerfully in our lives and in the lives of others. It really is true. The physical realities of life require the spiritual response of faith through the God-given resource of prayer. So, how's your prayer life? We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable to every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. Cross-Culture Church. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're searching for. Cross-Culture Church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to leave Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.